When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But unfortunately, it'll never happen. Front! Bunches! And bunches! And it's over! I think it's gonna be over. say there seems an element of genuine hate between these two Ambrose. For sure. I don't hate the man. Just imagine if you bought a ticket. Stop it, Greg. You can stop it any time. Castillo's in trouble. Leak steps in and the fight is over. Oh! Welcome back, fight fans, to Legendary Nights, Season 3, Episode Number 2, The Tale of Oscar De La Hoya versus Felix Trinidad. A great fight from the late 1990s. The fight of the century, they was calling it at one point. And in this episode, we're going to talk about how this fight came about. As always, we talk about the intertwining road between how these two competitors ended up in the ring together. Johnston, what a great episode to be covering for the second episode of this season. A fight that actually comes under the Legendary Knights HBO documentary. One that we've not covered yet and one that we're thoroughly looking forward to cover because it was, in turn, a, a great fight and there was so much hype around it. We've got some great quotes for the episode. A couple of little stories regarding Oscar De La Hoya that we haven't covered in his career profile before. So I'm really excited to present this one to everyone. Yeah, same here, and it's a, it's another another welterweight fight, another top welterweight fight. Which we've already done one. We'll we'll let the episode mention it later on when someone makes a comparison to it. In terms of the level of activity of the fight, it doesn't compare. But at the welterweight at the time, you know, the glamour division as it as it was, as it still is, and two very fighters fighters at the top of their game finally coming to meet. Many people wanted it to happen, and it finally did happen. So hopefully it will give us a little bit of hope that maybe Crawford and Spence will finally meet later on in a couple of years or so, or maybe this year. So yeah, hopefully you get a bit of inspiration from this and you feel the buzz and hopefully that comes out at the end. But look, it's a good story. Got some great little bits and moments in between and the fight probably disappoints slightly in terms of how good these guys were. They cancel each other out a little bit, but we'll go into that. But the stories in, in between some great towels and obviously Don King in there always great fun to hear from Don King <laughs> yeah always great fun to hear from Mr Slippery himself Don King now as always with our Legendary Night series we like to put a bit of context to how these two fighters came to me in the ring on that eventful night so we'll be covering that we'll be covering the fight itself and then of course a little bit of the aftermath of what this left in terms of legacy for both of these fighters and their careers after that moment in time so we're going to begin with felix trinidad first and foremost now he had a decent amateur career winning five puerto rican national amateur championships 
at five different weights. And he finished with an amateur career record of 51-6 and and 12 by way of knockout. Even though he had enough pedigree to represent Puerto Rico in the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona, unfortunately, politics got in the way and he didn't go. His father, manager and trainer Felix Sr., was so disappointed that he turned Felix Jr. over to the professional ranks on March 10th, 1990, at the age of 17. One year later, and Trinidad injured both of his hands in a points win over the experienced Jake Rodriguez, which kept him out of the ring for five months. But he returned with six knockout straight victories to go 19-0 with 16 wins inside the distance. Then moving forward in his career, on June the 19th, 1993, he was given his first shot at a world title against the two-time world champion Maurice Blocker at the sports arena in San Diego, California. Now in front of the Showtime cameras and on a Don King promotional card, Trinidad took command of the fight from the outset and stunned the IBF welterweight champion, showcasing excellent speed, accuracy and power with either hand. With his injuries firmly behind him, Trinidad finished Blocker off in the second round with a powerful left hook, sending the American face first into the canvas and out for several minutes. Don King was interviewed after the fight, and this is what he had to say. He's a terrific fighter. He has all the tools. He's a master out there in the ring. He stayed focused and disciplined, which was very impressive, and he has a very powerful punch in either hand. I think he's destined for superstardom, and Puerto Rico can be proud because we're going to come back to Puerto Rico to promote this young giant and the new welterweight champion of the world, Felix Trinidad. Well, Don King, he uh, stood by his word and took Trinidad back home at Bayamon in Puerto Rico on August 6th, 1993 for his first defence of the IBF welterweight title. He put the number one contender, Luis Garcia, down on the canvas four times in the first round before the fight was eventually stopped. Just showing his destructive power. And on October the 23rd, he made a second successful defence against Anthony Stevens in Florida, but had to pick himself up off the floor for the second time in his career to stop the valiant challenger in the 10th. Then on the eve of the Super Bowl in January 1994, a Puerto Rican rivalry was established when the famous old former champion Hector Camacho, 43-2 and at the time, took on the rising current champion, hoping that experience would prevail over youth. Their match was actually the chief support to Julio Cesar Chavez against Frankie Randall and was the first boxing event at the MGM Grand Garden. The New York Times reported on the fight. It wasn't as sad as watching Rocky Marciano and his prime knockout Joe Lewis through the ring or through the ropes in 1951, but it wasn't very pretty. Trinidad, 21 years old and 23-0, took command in the third round and pummeled Camacho with flurries to the body combinations of four and six punches at a time that left Macho hanging on. Camacho, 31 years of age, looked pathetic, trying to hug the champion in clinches, sometimes throwing him into the ropes. The referee Joe Cortez actually penalised him one point for his repeated violation. He also penalised Trinidad a point for pounding Camacho after the command to break. But in the end, it was Felix Trinidad who made a third successful defence of his title winning a clear unanimous decision. Camacho said this of Trinidad after the fight. He's pretty strong. I have to give him that. 
he shook me a couple of times. Trinidad was respectful of Camacho and said he was a great champion. While Trinidad was collecting a version of the welterweight titles, Oscar De La Hoya was making changes inside his camp when a bad training session ended with him firing his co-managers, Robert Mittelman and Steve Nelson, and his trainer, Carlos Ortiz. The double act mistakenly brought him in as the head trainer after sidelining Robert Alcazar, but their match failed, and so did their relationship with Oscar. Bob Arum remained as his promoter, but Oscar was under no illusions as to what he was about when he said, they're all crooks and thieves. Bob Arum is the straightest, nicest crook. De La Hoya then hired car dealership owner Mike Hernandez for financial guidance, the same guy that had given him a Corvette for winning the Olympic gold medal. Hernandez brought stability and financial gain to De La Hoya when he encouraged him to sign a lucrative contract with HBO worth $7.5 million for five fights and an option for five more that would push the total amount to $20 million. On the back end of that improved change, HBO agreed to broadcast a fight with the undefeated WBO super featherweight champion, Jimmy Breedale, who was 16-0 at the Grand Olympic Auditorium in Los Angeles, California on March the 5th, 1994. Oscar's professional career record was still a very novice one. After only just turning over to the professional ranks the year before, he was 11-0 with 10 knockouts. But his rise was an imminent one, so a first crack at a world title was almost inevitable. De La Hoya biographer Tim Kawakami explained his public appeal best when he said, Oscar is someone who 16-year-old girls need to see. What other fighter do you see 16, 17 and 18-year-old girls go to the fight paying a $50 to go and see him fight nobody? They get their autograph, they faint, they cry. That's what it's all about to me. I love that. Well, De La Hoya did as, he, as was expected of him and, and he knocked down the Dane in the first round or the first and second rounds until the doctor stopped the fight in the 10th. Bridal actually joked about his defeat saying, my strategy was to kill his stomach, but he killed my face first. His first defense of the WBO junior lightweight title against the Italian Giorgio Campanella, who was undefeated 20-0 on May 27th, 1994 at the MGM Grand Garden in Las Vegas. Just 15 seconds into the fight and Oscar got caught with a straight left to the jaw which sent him down to the canvas. He did manage to recover and knock Campanella down in the second round before finally knocking him out in the third. Afterwards, Delhoy admitted that I started out trying to be that big macho fighter bang with the great banger. By the second round, I realized that I could easily outbox him, get him from the outside using my reach advantage and stay away from the left hook. Oscar was finding it more and more difficult to make that junior lightweight limit, so he actually decided to move up to the lightweight division and face the eccentric and fan favourite Jorge Paz, who had a pretty good record of 53-6-4, and he fought him on July 29 at the MGM Grand. At the age of only 21, Oscar became a two-weight world champion when he knocked out Mexican Paz who went into acting and circus performing after boxing, side note there, with a combination which ended with a left hook come uppercut. Paz was counted out in the second round and remained on the canvas for another minute after. 
And he actually recalled that I don't remember anything after getting knocked down. I don't remember the second round at all. I've never been hit that hard by any punch before. Now, following eight months out of the ring, which came to be one of his longest layoffs of his career, Felix Trinidad returned to the same venue in which he destroyed Hector Camacho in and the same venue which De La Hoya stopped Payas in two months before, and that was the MGM Grand Garden. He took on the undefeated tough Mexican with a padded record, Luis Ramon Uriboy Campos, who was 56-0 in a fourth defence of his IBF welterweight title. Once again, he had to pick himself up off the canvas in the second round and overcome a point deduction in the third for repeated low blows, but he managed to weather the storm. He proceeded to take over the fight, and by the fourth, Trinidad had beaten Campos to the ropes and whacked away with solid and hurtful punches that left Campos helpless, forcing referee Richard Steele to stop the contest while Felix was shaking off the ring rust in a hot-blooded Latino rivalry. Now, Oscar remained active as he waited for a fight with the fellow Mexican, Rafael Ruiz, who was 43-1, and won, which was scheduled to take place on Cinco de Mayo celebration in May of 1995. He recorded two knockout victories over Carl Griffith in Vegas and John Avila in Los Angeles. On the same day that De La Hoya went 16-0 in Los Angeles, Felix Trinidad faced his most formidable opponent to date against the then-undefeated Oba Motor City Car, who was 32-0, and he was in Mexico on December the 10th, 1994. Now, a straight right hand from Oba in the second sent Trinidad to the canvas. But for the next five rounds, the champion controlled the tempo. Into the eighth round, and Trinidad began to show his class by flooring Carr twice. After getting up for the second time, Trinidad unleashed four unanswered punches that prompted the referee to step in and stop the fight. Now, to begin 1995, Oscar De La Hoya made his third defence of the WBO lightweight title against the tough Puerto Rican, one John John Molina, 36-3 at the time, at the MGM Grand Garden Arena in Las Vegas. Definitely a venue these two lights. Molina was the former IBF featherweight champion who had not lost in five years and moved up in a weight class to face De La Hoya. So this was no pushover. Now, after a streak of 10 knockout victories, De La Hoya actually floored Molina in round one, but was unable to get that knockout to make it 11 knockouts on the spin, but he took it by a wide decision. By the time the Cinco de Mayo celebration weekend arrived, Oscar added an additional trainer to assist Alcazar, Mexican Jesus Riverio. Now, the fight between De La Hoya and Rafael Rulas, 43-1, grossed more than $10 million in pay-per-view sales and was a marquee fight for Oscar De La Hoya. Now, a left to the chin in the second round sent Rulas down, but he got up. He knocked him down again, but Rulas got up again one more time before finally Oscar connected with repeated hard punches, forcing the referee to stop the fight. De La Hoya retained the WBO lightweight title and he also won the IBF version as well. A great performance from Oscar. So we're going to move to Felix Trinidad, who spent the next four years defending his titles against numerous fighters in bouts televised on Showtime. So this is the beginning of those fights and he fought only twice in 1995, making two more defences of his IBF weight title in fights 
that gained him even more recognition and a higher ranking in the pound-for-pound rankings. He fought a guy called Roger Turner on April 8th and stopped the American on the undercard of Oliver McCall against Larry Holmes at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas. Then on November 18th, Trinidad shared a bill with the WBC welterweight champion at the time, Pernell Whitaker, to build up a potential and will happen unification fight between them both. Now, Trinidad took on Larry Barnes, 39-1, once beaten by Sal Mombe. Barnes threw caution to the wind from the outset and let his hands go for three rounds before Trinidad wobbled him badly with a left hook in the fourth. The brave Barnes fought on, with his legs completely gone until Trinidad dropped him flat on his face with a brutal body shot. Barnes tried to beat the count, but couldn't, making it the seventh successful defence of the IBF strap for Trinidad. Now on September the 9th, 1995, at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas, Oscar De La Hoya took on undefeated rival Gennaro Hernandez, who was 32-0-1, and made his feelings clear about his opponent by saying, I hate his guts. I've never hated an opponent more. And Hernandez retaliated when he said, I think the money got to him. I've got a little more pressure in this one because a lot of people want to see Oscar go down and they think I'm the person to do it. Hernandez entered the ring with a fractured nose suffered in a sparring session against Sugar Shane Mosley. Now because of his injury, Hernandez eventually retired in his corner at the end of the six. Three months later, Oscar made his New York City debut at the Mecca of Boxing, the Madison Square Garden against Jesse James Leha, who was 31-2. and two. And it was the perfect performance, with the stoppage coming on the bell to end the second round. And to top off a great year, he was actually selected as the Ring Magazine's Fighter of the Year for 1995. Trinidad, moving back to Trinidad, now he fought three times in 1996, starting with a stoppage win over Rodney Moore in the fourth round on February 10th. Now, Tito landed a precise and accurate body shot. He loved him when he whipped him in. But after returning to his stall, the pain was just too much for him and he refused to come out for that fifth round. Great stoppage from Trinidad. Just under three weeks later, and Oscar De La Hoya fought. And he fought a non-title fight this time against Daryl Tyson, stopping him in only two rounds. Now, after that victory, a big fight with his hero, Julio Cesar Chavez had finally become a reality. Now, during this time, resentment of Oscar De La Hoya continued to grow in his hometown while attending a parade in celebration for the Mexican Independence Day in East LA. The haters around the area, well, they decided to throw some tomatoes. He wasn't greeted very nicely there. Oscar did actually acknowledge that they love me everywhere but LA. Now, Although Oscar De La Hoya was transcending the sport by becoming a top fighter and a teenage idol, but many hardcore Mexican fans felt they were the ones being transcended. The Orange County Registrar, Carlos Arias, spoke of his problem. And this is what he said. He said, I hate to say this because I'm a Mexican-American, just like Oscar. But for the hardcore boxing fans, they think he's crossed over. They think that he cares more about his looks than trying to be the best fighter of all time. The LA Opinion reporter, Romero Gonzalez, agreed with Carlos, saying that the Mexican people pay money to see an action, a brutal fight, like the old time, but Oscar never accomplished that. Well, in contrast to Oscar De La Hoya, Felix Trinidad was a national treasure 
of the Puerto Rican people, demonstrating pride and passion with a style, talent and greatness that was celebrated. Sila Cauldron, the governor of Puerto Rico, explained why Felix Trinidad was loved so much and he said he's rightfully proud of his heritage, of his roots, of his achievements as a Puerto Rican and he stands for the values and principles of the Puerto Rican people. Berto Santiago of the New York Daily News agreed and he said not learning English was actually seen as something very good among mob Puerto Ricans because he's not really selling out. He wants to stay one of us, a humble guy who's a fighter, fighting for us, which was contrary to what some people thought that Oscar De La Hoya was. It seemed like Oscar was really fighting for himself. Mario Riviera Martino of the San Juan Star put his love down to his aggressive style and he said, not only is Felix Puerto Rican born, but Felix is more in the style of the warrior. He is the fighter that comes out and wants to finish a fight, if possible, with one punch. Felix Trinidad credited his loyalty and devotion to his father, Felix Sr., and he said, Everything I learned since I was a kid, I learned from my father. He always said that I was better than he was, and another I learned that was instilled from him was to have courage, to have guts, to never fear anyone. A complete contrast, isn't it? Absolutely. Between the two. Wow, yeah, it just shows you how loved Felix was. And I mean, we did go into that, you know, check out our uh, Oscar De La Hoya career profile because we go into a bit more of that as well. In So on May 18, 1996, the, the much-loved Trinidad faced former world champion Freddie Pendleton at the Mirage Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. Now, this was Tito's ninth defence now of the IBF title when he used a left hook to the body, his money shot, to stop the challenger in his tracks. The fight eventually ended in the fifth when Pendleton failed to rise before the count of 10, which took Trinidad's career total to 29-0. The following month, on June 7, Oscar De La Hoya moved up to the super lightweight division and took on the WBC holder Julio Cesar Chavez, 99-1, for a guaranteed $9 million. Now, the two fighters went on city tours, like that one that Hagler and Hearns did 11 years earlier, that would send both men travelling to 23 cities in 11 days to promote the fight. It was billed as the ultimate glory, took place at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas, and was shown only on closed-circuit television. In front of a crowd of just over 15,000, the fight was over in just 12 minutes. And here is what the New York Times reported. One lousy minute into the hundredth fight of his career, Julio Cesar Chavez had a gash over his left eye and no windshield wipers ready available. By the fourth round, the stream of blood had stained his trunks, his chest, his navel, his arms and his dimples and the referee Joe Cortez stopped the WBC Super Lightweight Championship bout before anybody at Caesars Palace drowned. In an opposite corner, Oscar De La Hoya had his arms raised and his cut man nowhere in sight. His face was still unmarked. His record was still unblemished, 22-0 and 0 now. And if his latest technical knockout, 2 minutes and 37 seconds of the full round, had not won over the nations of Mexico, well, nothing would. Well, it wouldn't. The win didn't help Oscar's <laughs> critics, especially when he called Chavez a crybaby for making excuses. It did, however give added spice to a rematch. Oscar was now a three-weight world champion. 
On September the 7th, 1996, Felix Trinidad made his 10th successful defence of the IBF welterweight title against Ray Lovato, who was 21-1 at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas on the undercard of Mike Tyson versus Bruce Seldon, stopping the Sacramento native in the sixth round. Although Lovato did look wobbly on his legs and was getting hit regularly, it was a premature stoppage by referee Mitch Halpern, and this wasn't the first time he was criticised for stopping a Felix Trinidad fight too early. The other fight was against Roger Turner the year before. Now it was Tito that was the first out making an 11th defence by the new year on January the 11th, 1997 against the Londoner Kevin Lushing, 19-1 at the Nashville Arena in Tennessee. In what was becoming a bad habit for Trinidad, he was put down again in the second round with a right-left combination. The lacklustre start livened up the champion who came storming back in the next round to down Lushing and register his 27th career knockout. One week later, at the Thomas and Mack Centre in Nevada, Oscar De La Hoya extended his unbeaten run to 23-0 with 20 knockouts after going the distance with undefeated former lightweight champion Miguel Angel Gonzalez, who was 41-0. It was a laboured performance that he won on a wide points decision, and it was his last defence of the WBC super lightweight title. His next move was to move up to the £147 weight class as he went in search of his fourth world title at a fourth weight class. Impressive stuff and Oscar De La Hoya faced the former pound for pound king, the WBC welterweight champion, Pernell Whitaker, 41 and 1. Again, done a career profile on Pernell, go and check that out. This fight was at the Thomas and Mack Centre in Las Vegas on April 12th, 1997. Oscar earned himself $10 million, Pernell got six in a fight bill quite simply as pound for pound and it generated a handsome 720,000 pay-per-view buys and 28.8 million in pay-per-view revenue. Oscar suffered a cut under his right eye in the third round following an accidental clash of heads. As a result of this bonkers rules back then that were in place, Whitaker was actually stuck to the point for that clash of heads. Oscar then suffered a flash knockdown in the ninth, but he did switch to Southpaw halfway through the fight, which did seem to help him, but still he could not really catch Penel Whitaker. No one really could. It was neck and neck throughout, and all three judges had it in favour of Oscar De La Hoya. Chuck Gimpa had it at 1-1-11, 1-1-1-15, and both Dalby Shirley and Jerry Roth, will be coming up again soon, Jerry Roth, had it 110-116. Absolutely dreadful cards. Now, according to the Las Vegas Review Journal poll of writers who covered the fight, 14 scored it for Whitaker and 11 to De La Hoya, and one scored it a draw. Pennell said after, I was robbed. What happened to me tonight was like what happened to me before. He was always robbed, Pennell. We've gone into that. It was a blowout, a shutout, and I could not have performed better. The people saw it, the world saw it, I saw it. I want a rematch. Now, we personally, we, we didn't call this a robbery. We never have called it a robbery, but it was very, very tight. It's much closer than those scorecards suggest. If you haven't seen this fight, go and have a look yourself. We encourage you to go and watch it. And, have, and just cast your own jump judgment here. For us, Oscar De La Hoya got the win by the absolute skin of his teeth. Yeah, he certainly did get the win by the skin of his teeth on this one. And it was a closer fight than what the scorecards suggested. And if you haven't heard the Pennell Whitaker career profile, and this is the first one you're tuning into, go back and listen to Pennell's episode because we do go into more detail about some of the other fights that were quite controversial throughout his career. 
Now, going back to Oscar, Oscar's relationship with his trainer, Jesus Rivero, well, it ended abruptly following his very close win over Whitaker. So he decided to employ the legendary trainer, Emmanuel Stewart, as his replacement with former trainer Alcazar coming back to assist. The new team kick-started with a second-round knockout win over David Camus on June the 14th in Texas. But the story was not about what Oscar's next move was going to be. The story was actually about something else. Now, the LA Times reported of an outside incident that almost ended the life of Oscar De La Hoya, and it reads, Oscar De La Hoya's car was rear-ended by another car Sunday as the boxer was trying to steer his stalled Mercedes to a freeway shoulder in the city of industry, the California Highway Patrol said. De La Hoya, the WBC welterweight champion, was not injured in the incident, Officer Janet Engler said. De La Hoya was driving southbound on the 605 freeway when his car stalled. As he tried to steer to the right shoulder, the car was hit by a Honda Civic, whose driver fled the scene. After De La Hoya's car was on the shoulder, it was struck by another vehicle, but this time the driver pulled over. Oscar De La Hoya said, My car stopped me on the freeway. I got off and ran across the freeway to call the police, and when I was running, cars just smashed into my car. De La Hoya told KNBC-TV a day after the accident, I was just very fortunate I wasn't in there. But I'm okay now. I know for sure that there is a God. If I was in that car 10 more seconds, I would have been in it and just destroyed. After the accident, De La Hoya started thinking about marriage and having children. He even considered an early retirement after a few more years of boxing. Bad story there from Oscar. Yeah, I mean, luckily he did get out of that car because by the sounds of it, I got, got smashed up a few times and no doubt he would have got injured, possibly even worse. So that's mad. Stalling on the freeway and having to run across the road of the freeway as well. That is, that is quite scary. But with Oscar De La Hoya now thankful to be alive, Trinidad was scheduled to meet Terry Norris during the summer of 1997. But Norris backed out of the promotional agreement and the number one super welterweight contender, Troy Waters, became the Puerto Rican's opponent. Would have been a great fight against Norris. Fighting for the right to challenge Norris, the two actually met at Madison Square Garden on August 23rd in front of more than 10,000 Puerto Ricans in attendance. Trinidad called on his powerful right hand to knock Walters down late in the first round. Walters bounced back up before the count of 10, but Trinidad could smell the kill and went back to work, swarming his opponent with countless unanswered blows. Walters went down again, and this time he could not rise before being counted out. On to Oscar De La Hoya's next challenge, and that came in the form of Hector Macho Camacho. Now 63-3-1, obviously he had fought Trinidad earlier. Camacho went into the fight as cocky as ever, saying, if I had have met him when we were both £133, I would have killed him. On the streets, I'd have kicked his butt, but he'd never go to Harlem anyway. Oscar made the uh, trash-talking Puerto Rican eat his words, flooring him in the ninth round to win by unanimous decision and collect a hefty $9 million. Camacho actually told the Associated Press uh, boxing writer Ed Shiler Jr. after the fight that Oscar is the best I ever fought. He did everything he said he would do except knock me out, so credit to him. Before Oscar made another successful eighth-round knockout against Wilfredo Riviera, to end 1997, Emmanuel Stewart become the next trainer to be shown the exit door. Bob Arum, Hernandez and Joel Senior 
were the catalyst of removing Emmanuel Stewart because they apparently feared that he was trying to get Don King to take over as Oscar's promoter. Stewart said they were trying to find any reason to get rid of me. Everybody became uncomfortable with me except for Oscar. Alcazar returned as the head trainer and Aram brought in Gil Clancy from New York to assist him. Now on April 3rd 1998 in Bayamon, Puerto Rico, Trinidad stopped Ecoli Mahenga Zulu in a straightforward victory over four rounds. But the next 10 months of his career would be anything but simple. After his 29th knockout win, Trinidad said, I hit particularly hard with my left hand. I caught him with a great shot. It stunned him and then I finished with the second left. Now following the victory, fans and well-wishers actually stormed the ring, but under the weight of the crowd, a joist snapped and part of the ring support collapsed. Fortunately, everyone escaped unhurt. The only casualty on the night was the challenger who fell victim to the pride of Puerto Rico. Now Tito was questioned after the fight about an eventual showdown with the WBC champion Oscar De La Hoya and his response was, I can't be worried about just one fighter. Hopefully we'll meet. So far, it doesn't look like he wants to fight me. After his 33rd career win, Trinidad didn't want to fight under Don King anymore, growing frustrated at his promoter because he didn't believe he was interested in getting big fights. So in need of a change of direction, Felix actually filed a lawsuit against King to get out of his contract and sign a new deal with main events. Well, as the end of the year approached, main events actually scheduled a bout against another fighter in their stable, Ike Corte, for November. But before the fight could happen, the United States District Court Judge Lawrence McKenna ruled against Trinidad's decision to breach the contract, which meant that he ended up signing a new deal with Don King, obviously terminating the deal he had for main events. The contract was actually worth $49.9 million, which stipulated a three-fight deal for a four-year term. But more accurately, Trinidad had to fight three times, no matter how long it took. Now, the first fight of the deal was against Penel Whitaker, who was making a return to the ring after 16 months out, due to serving a six-month suspension for testing positive to cocaine. Again, we did mention that in his career profile. We'll come back to this fight in uh, very soon. But while Trinidad was having legal problems with Don King, Oscar De La Hoya, well, he was cementing his place as the number one pound for pound in the world. After winning five fights in 1997, De La Hoya took a break. Now, he was supposed to defend his WBC title against Patrick Charpentier in February, but a wrist injury forced the fight to be postponed until June 13, 1998. Even though Charpentier was the number one contender, he did not stand a chance against De La Hoya at the Sun Bowl in El Paso, Texas. De La Hoya knocked him out in the third round for his 23rd knockout in 28 victories. With the boxing world in demand of a De La Hoya Trinidad fight, it was the Julio Cesar Chavez rematch. Chavez as well, 102 and 2 at this point was actually made for September 18 at the Thomas and Mack Center in Las Vegas. Oscar demanded respect. He said, this fight is a very personal fight to me. I'm fighting for the respect I never got beating him the first time. And now into the fight and the first four rounds were actually quite tentative. But it did light up in the fifth, as explained by the New York Times when they wrote, 
the crowd picked up a chant of Chavez, Chavez, and it seemed to inspire the 36-year-old legend. He and Delahoya engaged in a heated exchange right before the round ended. Delahoya seemed to tire in the sixth round, and early on his punches lacked snap. He recovered late in the round and stunned Chavez with a left uppercut while both fighters tried to make headway working inside. The crowd went wild in the eighth round as the fighters slugged it out in the middle of the ring. Bleeding badly from the cut in his mouth, Chavez called it quits on his stool before the ninth round began. Oscar finally got the respect, but not from all the Mexicans, but actually from Chavez, the Mexican legend himself, and he said, he beat me right. I told him this would be a great fight and he would get my respect. I give him my respect now. To finally put the doubters to bed, for good, De La Hoya accepted the challenge to fight the dangerous and undefeated Ghanaian, Ike Quarte, who was 34-0-1 with 29 knockouts at the Thomas & Mack Centre in Vegas on February 13th, 1999. In an excellent fight, Quarte was able to take most of the early rounds using his jab to good effect, which kept De La Hoya off balance. But after six rounds where both fighters hit the canvas, Quarte offered less aggression, which helped De La Hoya come back right up to the 12th round when he dropped Quarte for the second time in the fight. And it was that knockdown that secured him a contentious split decision victory. A, a really good fight, this. And, and after the Quarte victory, Oscar De La Hoya later admitted that people were talking about how strong a puncher he was. That got me nervous and made me hesitant in the fight. But never will that happen again. Gil Clancy actually said that it was one of the greatest welterweight fights I've ever seen. Many observers believed this to be Oscar's most impressive victory to date, with HBO commentator Jim Lampley being one of them. And he said, I thought that the Corte fight was a glorious celebration of Oscar's good qualities, a tough round-by-round struggle. Oscar knocks Corte down, Corte knocks him down. I felt that the fight was basically even coming into that 12th round, but he got the, he got the win, a split decision win. He probably deserved it, to be fair. Finally, on February 18, 1999, Felix Trinidad, 26 now, was two days away from getting back into the ring after a 10-month layoff, but it didn't come without its problems. So two months before he started training for the Whitaker fight, his weight had ballooned to 162 pounds. Now, the legal politics had a clear effect in terms of we're going to court with Don King, but it also showed that it was beginning to outgrow this division and was desperate to just hang on in there for those big money fights. Don King was trying to cash in on his small star as he issued a challenge to Oscar De La Hoya for the winner of the Whitaker Trinidad fight. He said, we're talking about Oscar De La Hoya's talent. We're talking about his guts. We're talking about his machoism. The man cannot live with himself if he doesn't meet this challenge. Well, in front of a crowd, just over 13,000 at Madison Square Garden on February 20th, Felix Trinidad knocked down Pernell Whitaker with a straight right to the chin late in the second round. And he actually fractured his jaw in the sixth as he took a wide, wide decision and successfully defended the IBF welterweight title for the 13th time. And I must say, this is a brutal beating of Pennell Whitaker. I know Pennell was not the fighter he was when he fought Oscar, even though it was only sort of a few years before, but an impressive showing by no means. It was, no one ever did that to Pennell, so Felix had to get great credit for that win. Now, Lou Duva wasn't pleased after the fight. 
suggesting that the broken jaw was the result of Trinidad hitting Whitaker with his elbow. Duver also said that Tommy Brooks, Pennell's trainer, complained to the referee, Benji Estevez, that Trinidad was using his elbows, but their appeals were ignored. However, Duver did admit, I'm not disputing the decision, but I am disputing the way the fight was handled by the referee. Don King responded by saying, If his jaw is broken, then it's from one of those rights or lefts upside his head. The New York Times reported that King was waving a Puerto Rican flag and calling out Oscar De La Hoya to meet Trinidad and he said, he has to stand up and be macho, De La Hoya, not chicken De La Hoya. If he turns down this fight, he cannot walk through the streets of Mexico without a lot of cockadoodle doing. Now King then went on to say that Trinidad has an IBF mandatory defence against Vincent Petaway in May, which was the second of the three-fight deal that King and Trinidad had with HBO. King said that he saw no obstacles to a De La Hoya Trinidad fight being made before the end of the year. He then went on to say that the fight would have to be broadcast on TVKO, an HBO pay-per-view subsidiary, because De La Hoya has an exclusive contract with HBO. But one thing that did create a problem was Trinidad's rightful persistence that he should get the same money as De La Hoya. Bob Arum, on the other hand, was adamant that there would not be parity in pay because his fighter was the superstar. So Don King's response to Bob Arum was, it isn't about parity. That's the way you block deals from getting done by saying what you won't take. I say, let's do it 50-50 and he pays his fighter what he wants to and I'll pay my fighter what I want to. The fight will do 2 million buyers on pay-per-view. And to be fair, he's right. It's not bad. That's how they should be thinking. Then on May 13, Aram actually offered Phoenix Trinidad, the IBF Worldweight Champion, $10 million for a bout against Oscar De La Hoya. Aram said he was not sure that Trinidad would accept the offer. Well, Trinidad had insisted on getting purse parity, as we've mentioned with De La Hoya, but Aram said he had since dropped that demand. And he said, I don't know what he's going to do. The $10 million offer is similar to the $6 million offer, main events and Penel Whitaker. And it's similar to the $4 million I offered main events and Ike Corte. I think $10 million in this case is over generous. While negotiations were at an advanced stage following the offer for a September 18 clash, it was rumoured in San Juan, Puerto Rican region, that the deal at present was unacceptable to Felix Trinidad. And Nicholas Medina, the lawyer of Trinidad, told the Associated Press in San Juan that the promoter Don King had negotiated an extra half a million dollars for himself and was getting more than he had originally said he would. Uh, yeah. Medina said King was supposed to get $2 million and Trinidad was supposed to get $8 million. Medina insisted the deal was stuck. Well, again, back in the press and Bob Arum, well, he weren't worried and he came back with his statement and he said, King and Felix's father are just squabbling over how much of the half a million Felix should get. It's a done deal. We've got side contracts. Finally, after a bit of toing and throwing, Oscar De La Hoya and Felix Trinidad agreed to a major showdown with each other. De La Hoya was guaranteed 15 to $21 million and Trinidad $8 million to a possible $11 million. But first, 
Oscar had to get past Obakar, who was 48-2-1 in Las Vegas on May the 22nd, knowing a loss would destroy plans for the huge showdown against Trinidad, so De La Hoya had to make sure he was at his best. He did get the victory with an 11th round stoppage, but at a cost, he injured his left hand. Clearly not wanting to cause a panic after the fight, De La Hoya stated that a personal problem had arose during the fight from the second round on, but he refused to say what it was. He then summoned Dr. Tony Daly, the Lakers doctor, to his locker room after the fight. Carr was asked after the fight to compare Trinidad and De La Hoya after he'd lost to both of them, and this is what he had to say, he said. Both were at different periods in my life, so I have two different outlooks. Both of them are quick fighters and both of them are patient. I think De La Hoya takes a better punch than Trinidad. It was revealed that X-rays taken at Valley Hospital in Las Vegas didn't actually reveal any broken bones in De La Hoya's left hand, but it did confirm that it was sprained and it needed to be placed in a splint. His physician, Dr. Tony Daly, then verified that he would need four weeks to heal and the fight with Trinidad was not in jeopardy. De La Hoya admitted that the injury occurred after a jab in the second round and he praised Carr after the fight and he said he can take a punch. He was rough and he was ready. I felt good in there. I was strong. Nothing bothered me. Well, obviously, apart from his hand. Then one week later in San Juan, Puerto Rico, Felix Trinidad had to come through his fight against Colombian Hugo Pineda, who's 35-1. and one. It was actually bought in as a replacement for Vincent Pataway. He basically pulled out due to a detached retina, of all things. And this was the last mandatory fight for Trinidad against a guy who fought mainly in Colombia and was not familiar with the American boxing fans. Now, Lou DeBella, who was the HBO senior vice president of programming, accepted the replacement. And he said he's been active and he's been consistent. He's lost once to Costa Zoo. And you look at his record and you understand why he's there. I can't complain about this guy's credentials. Well, decent credentials or not, Felix Trinidad made light work of his opponent and he stopped him in just four rounds. So now we're going to move in to the build-up. They've both won their fights. They needed to win. And thankfully, the stage was now set for two of the pound-for-pound best in Oscar De La Hoya, 31-0, the unbeaten WBC welterweight champion and the undefeated IBF champion Felix Trinidad, 35-0, to finally collide. And on June 15, the New York Times actually reported that not since Neil Simon had the odd couple on Broadway has an Oscar and a Felix combination caused as much of a stir in New York City as Oscar De La Hoya and Felix Trinidad did yesterday at the South Street Seaport. The two boxers were in town to kick off a nine-city tour to promote their September 18 welterweight showdown at the Mandalay Bay Resort in Vegas, Nevada. There were more vocal supporters for Felix Trinidad in the crowd of about 300 than there were fans of Oscar De La Hoya. Now, De La Hoya actually told Ed Shuler of the Associated Press three months before the fight, it's going to be a difficult fight, but I have a fighter's blood and I will not quit. On September 18, my fists will do the talking. Trinidad was even more confident and he said at a news conference, in his native Puerto Rico, I'm in the best physical condition of my life and I can't see how De La Hoya could end the fight on his feet. I'm going to knock him out after the sixth round. 
When I put my hands on a boxer, he falls, and Delahoya will be no exception. He won't be able to take the punishment. By the time this fight came around, the Ring magazine released their pound-for-pound -pound list in April of 1999 and had Felix Trinidad at number three and Oscar De La Hoya at number four. Now, if you're interested in knowing who the number one was and number two was, interestingly enough, he was Roy Jones Jr. and the number two was Floyd Mayweather at this point in 1999. Well, this fight was a massive deal. It was huge. Even Larry Merchant compared it to a welterweight classic and he said like Leonard versus Hearns a fight between two young stars in their primes De La Hoya versus Trinidad was going to decide who was the major force in boxing below the heavyweight division what we had here was two undefeated fighters in the same weight category were the same age both in the primes and didn't like one another it was the perfect concoction for a fight to remember now with a bunch of similarities between the two and the added mixture of a historic rivalry between Puerto Rico and Mexico, this also triggered raw patriotic emotions. This was a rivalry, some suggest, began when Salvador Sanchez knocked out Wilfredo Gomez in 1981. The former world champion with Puerto Rican heritage, Jose Torres, told The Ring magazine that year, You see, we know each other, we know how to intimidate each other, and we know how to resist it. But we are very dramatic in the process. Some of us even get violent, a luxury we seldom revel in front of the gringo. Well, Dr. Sotomayor also explained this rivalry and he said that Latin fans attend boxing matches as if they're part of a performance. It's a celebration of being part of a prime event at a time when Puerto Rico and other Latin countries aren't prime in terms of economics. We may boo a Mexican fighter, but that's the role we play in the audience. It's festive. It's theatre. Well, Don King and Felix Sr., they're actually vocal before the fight about getting their fair shake. They actually worried that the judges would favour Oscar De La Hoya. So they actually arranged a pre-fight meeting with the Nevada Athletic Commission chairman, Dr. Ellis Genham, which was treated by, at the time, Team De La Hoya as irrelevant. Now that was until after the fight when it suddenly become the subject of great scrutiny. We will of course go into that after the fight. Felix Trinidad Jr. arrived in Las Vegas almost two weeks before the fight preparing for the welterweight showdown. Now with all the groundwork complete he did not allow himself to get distracted by those neon lights or the temptations of the casinos. Don Felix Trinidad well, he made sure of it and he made, he made sure he kept him busy in the gym, working out in private or in a hotel suite, which had a pool table, video arcade games and two large screens, apparently. The elder Trinidad said his son's priority was training, not giving interviews. Well, Don King said this of, of the current situation and their mindset. He actually said that Don Felix, that he's scared. Tito is his life and future in boxing. So he, he, he always give him good advice, that's for sure. And, and Don King knew he could never get him between them two. There was an edgy undertone to this fight. And Trinidad actually proclaimed he will knock out De La Hoya in the sixth, as you read off earlier, Sean. And while De La Hoya actually played down Trinidad's ability and compared him with Rafael Rulez, a previous opponent, saying he had already had his defining night as a welterweight, and that was against Ike Corte. De La Hoya said this of Trinidad. 
He's a solid fighter, an all-around good fighter. I told Trinidad that I respect him as a fighter. He's got all the tools necessary to become a good fighter. But if you talk about the whole package, the footwork, the speed, the power and the intelligence in the ring, Ike Quarte was a stronger fighter, had the upper body movement and was smarter in the ring. Trinidad Jr. responded by saying, I have a lot of respect for Rafael Ruiz. He was a champion. I'm not Rafael Ruiz. I'm a different fighter. I'm tougher than Ike Quarte. He's very conscious of that. He's just trying to motivate himself. On the night of September the 18th, he will know he was very wrong to make those statements. I'd be extremely happy if I knocked him out in one round. Whenever I fight, it's a no-win situation. If I knock him out, then they'll say there was a problem with him. That he had no chin. Don Felix Trinidad then chimed in with his comments and he said, if Oscar comes out like he wants a war, then the fight will end in the first round. De La Hoya was believable when he said, if I see that he's not going to pressure me, I have to be aggressive. When I fought Quarte, we were expecting him to rush in and fight more. If Trinidad lays back, then I have to be aggressive. Very aggressive. During the final press conference, Felix Trinidad could not keep still in his seat. His legs were visible underneath the table on the podium and they were jumping up and down at about 100 miles an hour. When Robert Alcazar said that his fighter could not wait to shut Trinidad's big mouth, Trinidad nearly jumped out of his seat. And you can see this on YouTube as well. You can see the anxiousness around the fight. It was a huge fight. It was the biggest fight to end the, the, the millennium because it was a new millennium, by the way. Remember, this is, you know, back end of 1999 going into a new millennium. The whole 2000 was a big thing. So this was considered the last big super fight of the millennium. It was. It was, it was huge. And you, you're right. You can see Trinidad really anxious, probably by this point, just dying to get in that ring. And, well, due to the size of the fight, it was decided that the way be done in the arena, something they didn't tend to do. And the New York Times actually wrote, a crowd of 5,000 screaming fans packed a section of the casino area for this evening's weigh-in. And those in the upper level and those watching live on ESPN2 got to see more of De La Hoya than they bargained for. The lawyer stripped completely for the weigh-in, trying to make the 147-pound limit. A blue towel placed in front of him was at eye level for those viewing from the audience, but those in the upper reaches of the arena could see behind the towel, and the full frontal nudity was visible on live television for a split second. Both fighters weighed 147 pounds, and both, as the New York Times put it, looked solid as well. Oscar actually spoke about this embarrassing moment. He said, I couldn't make the weight anymore. And I was so concerned that I took everything off. And the arena just went crazy because apparently my trainer booked down the towel and they could see everything. Like exposed to the world. Larry remembered the weigh in was a preview of what would go on in the arena the next night. We knew the atmosphere was going to be over the top. And Delahoya, again, many statements and quotes and this is what he said the importance of, he mentioned the importance of this fight on the occasion he said this fight is going to have a huge impact in my boxing career it's going to put me up there with the greats we said at the beginning of the evening that it was a privilege now as the moment arrives it feels at least in this heart 
like an even bigger privilege than was anticipated. So Larry Merchant, in this sport whose public relations are constantly at stake, it is thought on the part of many that it's important, significant somehow, for the sport's biggest crossover star, its biggest public icon, Oscar De La Hoya, to win. Is that true? Yes, but again, maybe not. Yes, because Oscar De La Hoya attracts non-believers into the boxing fold. But no, because every great fighter found out that it's what you do after you lose that really counts when you look back at your career. Should uh, the, the other fighter uh, happen to win the fight tonight, what would happen? Well, we know that Trinidad status would rise. He would have a rematch with De La Hoya. There would be other mega showdowns down the road. That is the nature of the game. But what boxing truly needs tonight is a fight that lives up to or even exceeds the very high expectations for this fight. It, could also, it would also be nice if we got a decision that was just in the end, which may be asking a little too much of this sordid but beautiful, beautiful sport. We've been waiting a long time while this fight cooked, Jim. It's a beautiful souffle. Now we get to taste it. And at this point, it is impossible to discipline yourself not to ask for both the moon and the stars, because we know that it's possible. Final word before they come into the ring from the sport's other major crossover star, George Foreman. George, what must each man do to win? Trinidad, he's, done, he's gotten here by being himself going forward, throwing bum after bum, let the 12 rounds stop him. If he continues to do that, he can be successful. Oscar De La Hoya has got to throw left jabs, moving to the left, left jab, moving to the right. Jab all night and set things up and do not become a, 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 a stationary target. So we're just going to move into the fight details and the fight actually happened, as we've mentioned a few times, September 18, 1999. And as you said, Sean, right at the end, of the, night, the, the new millennium is approaching. The fight happens at the Mandalay Bay Resort Casino in Las Vegas, Nevada. The referee in charge of the action is Mitch Halpern. And the judges were Glenn Hamada, Bob Logist and Jerry Roth. Oscar De La Hoya was aged 26 and he was making the eighth defence of the WBC welterweight title and entered the ring weighing in at 152 pounds. While Felix Trinidad, also 26, weighed 156 pounds on the night and was making the 15th defence of the IBF welterweight title. The card was promoted by Bob Arum's top rank, which was broadcast live on TVKO. Just before the fight, Larry Merchant made an interesting prediction and he said, What boxing needs tonight is a fight that lives up to or even exceeds the very high expectations for this fight. It would also be nice if we got a decision that was just in the end. Trinidad entered the ring accompanied by a Spanish rap song by two rappers using his spotlight as advertising for their upcoming album. He also wore a large straw hat and white pants and a shirt with a small machete tied to a red waistband. There was a hidden message that he wanted to bring attention to and that was the controversy on the Puerto Rican island, Viquis where the US conducted military exercises. Berto Santiago explained more and he said, there were always these accidental deaths of someone because of this. It was one death that occurred and people were saying enough is enough. And when Felix Trinidad walked into the ring showing solidarity with the people of requests, you couldn't ask for anything better. It took Trinidad at least three minutes to make his way from his dressing room to the ring. 
and while De La Hoya made his entrance, the relaxed Trinidad was dancing to his music. He appeared very loose and relaxed. Maybe too relaxed. But Trinidad left his mouthpiece in the dressing room, which delayed the start of the fight. Finally, Michael Buffer introduced the fighters, and it was time to rumble. <laughs> he forgot his mouthpiece. Brilliant. So we're moving to the fight now. I'm going to break it off. We're going to literally half the fight, Sean. So I'll roll it off first six, and then Sean will jump in for the for the second half of the fight. Because it does go the distance if nobody knew that. So from rounds one to three. So although Oscar De La Hoya came out cautious in that first round, he managed to snap Trinidad's head back with a counter left hand. Later in the round, Oscar landed a good combination that brought a cheer of Oscar, Oscar from the crowd. In the second round, Trinidad continued to be the aggressor, but he wasn't getting anywhere for any of his efforts. De La Hoya was catching most of his punches with his glove. Early in the round, De La Hoya bloodied Trinidad's nose with a stiff jab. Then Oscar took the third round by using his lateral movement and his fast hands that left Trinidad perplexed. De La Hoya actually recalled that he was trying to chase me and he was lost, so... I say to myself, okay, if I continue to do this and pop my jab and right hand and throw a combinations here and there, then I can win the fight. Alcarez gave clear instructions to Oscar saying that punch this guy to hell, Oscar, just like you said you were going to do. Give him a boxing lesson. And those first three rounds for me was an absolute shutout. Lovely movement as well from Oscar moving side to side and I felt sorry for uh, for Trinidad. He just couldn't get near him. So from four and six, Trinidad finally caught up with De La Hoya in the fourth, landing a left hook to the side of the head and finished the round with a well-placed combination. It was the first time in the fight that Trinidad had been able to put a group of punches together that caught De La Hoya, who had slowed down by the fifth, but still managed to stay in control of the fight. A right-left combination caught Trinidad flush on the face and wobbled in. Then his left eye began to swell by the sixth. And it was the sixth round where the crowd actually began to boo as the action slowed down. Trinidad misses three times with the left hand. Make it four. Deloya sticks him with the right. Trinidad backing away from the left, but then Deloya sticks it in his face. Big round here for Oscar. First good right hand by Trinidad. Hard left by Deloya. And another right hand lands. Gotta be a tremendous round for Oscar De La Hoya. So moving into round seven to nine, De La Hoya's hand speed was beginning to take its toll on Trinidad and it was proving to be a major advantage. Larry Merchant in commentary addressed a change in his style by the ninth when he said, Oscar's always been the one to close the show and he's trying to close the show by guaranteeing a victory for himself simply by staying away from Trinidad. For the first eight, maybe nine rounds, De La Hoya was boxing as masterfully as he had ever done before, or would again, but stopped fighting with a quarter of the bout remaining. Very strange moment in the fight. So we move into the championship rounds, and by the 10th round, Trinidad had been, as many said, to a boxing clinic. His trunks were sprinkled with blood, and his left eye was closing fast. If he was going to win this fight, he needed a knockout. And he tried valiantly through the last two rounds. But he couldn't find the punch that he needed. In the 11th, Gil Clancy told De La Hoya, box the next two rounds. Was it bad advice? Or did De La Hoya not understand the difference between box and run? Oscar did admit 
my corner was telling me to box them. And then you have the fight in the bag. But when it comes down to it, hey, it's my fault. Both fighters traded punches in a desperate flurry in the 11th round. And De La Hoya got the benefit of the exchanges, thrilling the crowd and frustrating Trinidad. In the 12th round, Don Felix was pounding the ring apron, encouraging his son, Trinidad Jr., believed. He seemed uncomfortable because he kept running. He knew that if he stopped to fight, he could have been knocked out because he knew that I was a harder puncher. That's why he was always on the run. Now, this sums up the fight in in a brief description of of them rounds that we've just gone through there. But before we go into the the finale of the fight, I just want to take a moment to go for our, our thoughts and memories of it because this fight was a fight where I felt De La Hoya performed Barry in the quarter fight, it was, it was probably his best fight for about nine or 10 rounds. And when he gets to that championship round period, for whatever reason, he decided to do it. He just completely stopped fighting. He just, he just evaded. He used lateral movement. He moved around the ring. He was hardly throwing any punches because he felt like he'd won the previous round so convincingly. But to me, he couldn't have stopped fighting because there's always that little niggling feeling that no matter how far ahead you think you are on the cards you've still got to you've still got to at least throw a decent amount of punches in a round going back to that fight what did you make of of, of that moment where De La Hoya seemingly because he's got it in the bag he just decides to essentially stop fighting it is a crazy moment I mean it is it's that information that he gets from Gil Clancy in his corner and, and he basically says to him you know box box the next two rounds and, and he didn't box he didn't he just run he did he did i don't think he even threw a punch in the 12 I and mean, we will come to this sort of bit more of a breakdown of how people see this fight and perceived it but for me he was in control he really was i felt that he won pretty much all the rounds especially the first three there was a few you could have sided with trinidad but for me i thought oscar boxed really well I thought, as you say he used lateral movement he moved side to side he was difficult to pin down Trinidad was unable to actually sort of, as soon as he set himself, he was able to reset himself. It, it was it was an absolute, really, one of his best ever boxing performances, masterclass at times. But then for the last three rounds, <laughs> he decided not to engage and and thinking he's got to fight in a bag, thinking he's won all nine or all ten rounds, which is, I mean, it's a silly thing to do, mate. I mean, that surely if there's any young fighters out there watching this, please do not, whatever you do, do what Oscar De La Hoya did because you've got to be 100% certain that you win this fight. You've got to be certain. By, by doing that, you put a bit more pressure on. You don't run, because that's basically what he did. And here he'll try to steal the round. George, you tell me, do you think that Delahoy has won the fight the way he's fought the last several rounds? I don't think so. I think he had the fight in control, and now he's leaving in the hand of the judges. And this is about which judge saw the beauty contest his way or not. I have him winning the fight six rounds to five and went even. My suspicion is he'll get a few more points than that from the judges. That is exactly my suspicion as well. It was not what boxing fans hoped for. Now will it be what Deloya hoped for? Trinidad became the attacker only when it was clear that he was behind and desperate. Deloya controlled the first half of the fight easily with his boxing skills. The question now, did he give that margin away? by failing to fight down the stretch. Michael Buffer has the numbers in his hand. Ladies and gentlemen, we go to the Budweiser scorecards. 
When Hamada scores the bout, 114 to 114, he has it even. Bob Logiste scores the bout, 115 to 114. And Jerry Roth scores the bout, 115 to 113, for the winner by majority decision, De Puerto Rico! And a unified welterweight champion of the world, Felix Kiko Trinidad. So that answers the question of whether Felix Trinidad could get a decision against Oscar De La Hoya in Las Vegas. Yes, he could. Well, both fighters celebrated like they had won the fight as the crowd held its breath for the judges' totals. Glenn Hamada called it a draw, 114-114. Bob Lodges saw it 115-114, and Jerry Roth scored it 115-113 for the new unified welterweight champion of the world from Puerto Rico, Felix Tito Trinidad. HBO's Harold Lederman had De La Hoya ahead, six rounds to three, before giving Trinidad the 10 through 12 to end up with a 114-114 card, and that was the same as Hamada's card. Nigel Collins of the ring, seated ringside, had it 115-114 for Trinidad, although most of the press seemed to favour Oscar De La Hoya. But in nearly all cases, the margin was only a point or two. Now, there was a lot of conspiracy theories about the scoring of the fight, but we will come on to that in a little while. First, let's just move on to the people that mattered, the fighters and the fans. The celebration of the Trinidad victory went from the ring in Las Vegas to the streets of Puerto Rico and Trinidad of course was overwhelmed and he said I had beat the golden boy it was a moment of great emotion I cried when I heard the decision it's a moment I will never forget he credited his training crew for his success in defeating De La Hoya and he said my corner said keep attacking I knew it was close I put more pressure on him De La Hoya who said Trinidad congratulated him on winning before the scores were announced didn't agree with the cards, of course, and he said, I'll give him the last four rounds, score it eight to four. I thought I had it in the bank, I swear. You thought you did, mate. You don't think and assume anything. It makes an arse out of you. That's basically what it did for Oscar. Don't assume you've won anything, mate. You've got to make 100% sure. Well, Oscar recalls his pent-up emotions, which erupted immediately after the fight. He said, when I got into the locker room, I went berserk. I started crying like, my gosh, how could they do this to me? How could they do this to me? I mean, you did it to yourself. I was devastated. I was crushed. I remember punching one of those little lockers because I got so mad. Amazingly, comfort actually came from the last person that he would have ever thought of. And that was from his father, who never praised him ever in his whole life, his whole career. He had won all those fights, the first defeat, and his his dad tells him, you fought a beautiful fight. So uh, that was a nice moment for Oscar and his father. Trinidad, well, he did not attend the post-fight press conference because, well, he wanted to get back home. He wanted to get back to Puerto Rico to his adoring fans. And the following morning in Puerto Rico, they welcomed him with a carnival atmosphere. The government actually gave their people a day off just to welcome Tito off the plane. Felix Trinidad recalled, I went on the stage and said hello to all my people. They were chanting and cheering. It was a beautiful moment, an experience I will never forget. We beat Oscar De La Hoya, and the golden boy is no more. Once again, Trinidad had his people's hearts while Oscar De La Hoya fought 
two for now to gain the Mex Mexican fans' respect and almost achieved it when he beat Corte. But then he lost it again due to his negativity in the last three rounds. Bernard Fernandez of the Philadelphia Daily News explained he, as in Oscar De La Hoya, lost a lot of fans within his own ethnic community by fighting the last three rounds against Trinidad the way he did. That is not the way a Mexican fighter should have fought that particular fight. Don King, well, he went to the post-press conference. Of course he did. And he took the opportunity to rub the salt in the wounds of his old rival, Bob Arum. The lights in Aronville are going out. <laughs> and that's how he started. <laughs> well, the New York Times reported on the post-fight press conference shenanigans. And this is what they wrote. Things got so heated that at one point, Aram had to be restrained from going after King. Every point that Aram tried to make, King shouted him down until Aram had King's microphone turned off. Later, King was given a microphone by a local telephone station and he continued to gloat. Later, Bob Aram said that he felt Oscar won the fight. He won the first nine rounds. There's no way he could have lost the fight. De La Hoya alternated between being disappointed and saying that he wasn't disappointed and he said, I'm not hurt, I'm not disappointed. If I felt like a defeated fire, I'd feel bad. I tried to box. People are so used to seeing me brawl. For once, I wanted to show a good boxing lesson. I guess that wasn't good enough for the people at ringside. Later, he responded to a question about when he thought he was going to get back into the ring. De La Hoya contradicted himself again and he said, it's going to be a long time. I'm just very disappointed with boxing right now. So let's move into the aftermath then, Johnston, and the backlash of this. Well, the fight generated $64 million in pay-per-view revenue, a record for a non-heavyweight fight. TVKO said that 1.25 million customers paid $49.95 each for the fight which was billed as the biggest welterweight bout since Sugar Ray Leonard met Thomas Hearns in 1981. The 1.25 million buys and the $64 million revenue eclipsed the previous mark of 800,000 buys and $34 million in revenue generated by De La Hoya's bout against Pernell Whitaker in April of 1997. It was also the third highest grossing pay-per-view boxing event in history, at that time trailing only the two heavyweight fights between Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield. I mean, that, the money just demonstrates the magnitude of the fight. It was so much hype that everybody, the two best pound for pounders, pretty much, barring Jones Jr. and Mayweather, it, you know, it was huge. And, and it, it, I think the, the problem is if Oscar didn't run for three rounds, the last three rounds, I think, I think boxed really well, superbly well, you never know, it could have made it much more of a spectacle. And I think that's what people were disappointed with. And for several years after the fight, fans and experts, they still debate the true winner to this day. So we found an interesting bit of work that Javier and Perez, who analysed the fight for Eastside Boxing, and he wrote this interesting little statement. So we're going to read it out to you and sort of break it down in segments, if you like. So he wrote, Oscar De La Hoya fans argue that Don King paid off judges and that De La Hoya exposed Trinidad as one-dimensional and provided the blueprint that Bernard Hopkins and Winky Wright would utilise to upset him in future bouts. The Trinidad contingency replies that if Oscar hadn't been dancing around the ring, Trinidad would have knocked him out and that De La Hoya felt Trinidad's power and was clearly concerned with being knocked out by his very worthy advisory 
that it was this that the judges saw and what ultimately prompted him to give the nod for the Puerto Rican legend. And then others also argue that it was the ill advice of Oscar De La Hoya's corner that drained this fight of its drama and that the later rounds were not a reflection of De La Hoya as a fighter, but of the poor advice that he had received from his trainers. Some interesting points and some points that I think watching the fight, you automatically comes to sort of springs to mind, but Bob Arum, he believed that the scoring was affected by a, that pre-fight meeting between the Nevada Athletic Commission chairman, Elias Gunman and the Trinidad camp. And he said, there was something fishy in appointing the officials. The Trinidad camp and Don King were making noises about not wanting to come to Las Vegas because they said that Vegas judges would favor De La Hoya. Certain assurances were made at that meeting to Trinidad. The assurances, I believe, were to the effect that the officials would be talked to before the fight. But as we mentioned in the build-up, Bob Arum and the De La Hoya camp, they were aware of this meeting and they called it immaterial before the fight. But when the decision was done with and the fight had happened, suddenly it became a big deal. But still, it does make valid points. Well, Nevada Chief Deputy Attorney General Kirk Hendricks said, Bob Arum was aware that this meeting happened. Dr. Gannam called him before it happened and he said, I'm going to have a meeting with Senior Trinidad at my home and Bob Arum encouraged that meeting. It was more of a meeting just to say, look, here's the process that we follow in Nevada. We've followed it for a hundred years and we're going to follow it this time. It's going to be a great fight. Everybody's going to love it and the true champion is going to emerge. One of the judges, Jerry Roth, came out and said, nobody ever talked to me about any assurances before the De La Hoya Trinidad fight. Unequivocally, I didn't bend over backwards to go the other way at all. And I'd be more than happy with anyone, including you, Mr. Aram, if you want to watch that fight with me with the sound turned down round by round and we'll have a good discussion about it. Aram refuses to believe Roth and even points to his card as the most suspicious by saying, the conventional wisdom is that Oscar dominated the early rounds and then gave away the last three. Look at Jerry Roth's scorecard. The first four rounds, he has Trinidad winning three of those four rounds. That is preposterous. Aram even picks out Bob Lodge's card by saying, Lodge's scorecard is so unbelievable that even Lodge's must have realised it because he gives the 12th round to Oscar De La Hoya to make it closer. And Oscar didn't throw one punch in the 12th round. So his scorecard is suspect. There is no way that Oscar De La Hoya lost that fight with Felix Trinidad. So we're going to move on to the uh, CompuBox statistics, which heavily favoured Oscar De La Hoya, who they say landed 263 of 648 punches, which were mostly jabs, while Trinidad went 166 of 462. To most, it seemed easier to find seven rounds to give Oscar than to find seven to give Trinidad. You just need to give him a couple of the close rounds in which not a whole lot was happening offensively. That's what Roth did. But giving Trinidad three of the first four rounds was very poor judging. And we encourage you, the listeners, to go back and have a look again and tell us what your thoughts are because there's no way Trinidad wins three of those four. It's just terrible judging. You must agree with Bob as well that it was even more curious that logic awarded De La Hoya the 12th round it was clearly a makeup round to make the scorecard look closer and 
we love a conspiracy theory on this show, especially with Mr. Slippery Donking at the heart of it. And there are enough dodgy moments in the scoring to suggest that something fishy was going on. It was a closest fight at the end. We feel Oscar nicked it, but it was close. Closer than what those scorecards were. And definitely, I don't, I don't believe Trinidad won this fight. There's no written rules on how you judge a fight, a boxing match. And as you know, you know, it's very circumstantial. There is an unwritten criteria that many follow when trying to score a fight. You know, clean punching, effective aggressiveness, defense. And one that confuses us all is the ring generalship, even boxing historian and fight game magazine. Burt Sugar, the great, the late great Burt Sugar wondered about ring generalship. Does that mean you're wearing four stars on your shoulders? He said, Larry Hazard breaks it down quite simply. The commissioner of the New Jersey State Athletic Control Board. And the way he sees it, he says it's so ambiguous in terms of scoring. The guy who's landing the most punches gets the grant. And that's what he tells his judges and how he tells his judges to score fights. And you can't really argue with that. Simplest way to judge is that. Well, there's that much criteria and parameters out there. It's very difficult to determine what one judge is going to look at on one particular night, which is why it's such a subjective sport. And many times we've had this conversation. Now, Nigel Collins, he wrote his post-fight feature for The Ring. And I, I can't help but agree with it. And I don't think you could not really agree with what he has to say here about it. He said, the record book will simply say Felix Trinidad won the fight and Oscar De La Hoya lost. But that's a superficial view at best. The real loser, regardless of what you thought of the official verdict, was boxing. When the spotlight shone the brightest and the challenge was the greatest, neither risked all in the pursuit of ultimate glory, settling instead for a restrained conservative approach. Collins noted that an angry fan actually called the ring editorial office the Monday after the fight and vented and said, one guy was scared as in De La Hoya and the other, Trinidad, was glad that he was. Now, De La Hoya told HBO a few years later, I have to admit, I was a bit tired. I've never boxed like that in my life. My legs were shaking. I thought I had the fight in the bag after nine rounds, so I'm going to cruise the last three rounds. That's what my corner told me to do. So I said, okay, let's do it. Now, just on a completely separate subject, away from the fight, if you look at what Jose Torres said earlier in the story, and he mentioned this quote, some of us even get violent. And this is what he's using to describe the emotions of a Latino rivalry. Now, the morning after the fight, the New York Times reported a Mexican immigrant was stabbed to death in front of his wife on a Queen Street early yesterday morning. And witnesses said that four men was charged in the attack, at least two of whom are also Mexican, were apparently upset that Oscar De La Hoya had just lost the welterweight championship bout. The victim, Mario Bravo, 32, was leaving his mother's house in Jackson Heights at 1.22am when he was attacked by four men and killed, said Officer Joseph Cavatolo, a police department spokesman. Well, we'll follow on finish off this awful story. Mr Bravo had just walked his wife and his two dogs out to his car when he was approached by four rounding men. A witness, Roberto Balestios, who was 54, said they were arguing about the fight. Mr. Bravo had also watched the fight that night. His relatives said, but witnesses said he tried to ignore the rowdy men. Mr. Bravo's sister recalled that they were asking him if he was Mexican. And my brother said, yes. Then they threw a bottle at him. Mr. Palacios said 
that one of the men took out a folding knife, opened it and then stabbed Mr. Bravo in the back. Mr. Balios then said that the men ran off and he grabbed hold of Mr. Bravo who collapsed in front of his mother's house. We really want to know why they did what they did to him, leaving a wife and 11-year-old daughter, said another one of his sisters. The police arrested four men on second-degree second murder charges. 16-year-old David Ruiz, his older brother, Freddy Ruiz, 19, and their roommates, Pablo Rios, 24, and Elios Avila, 20. All four men lived in the same house in Queens. Ah, just what it just shows you. These, these things happen. It is a horrible incident happened after this fight. It's not good to have to bring up these subjects, but there's it, always going to be an extremist when you have these crazy sort of heat-filled situations where you're watching a fight and even fight, just any sport in a case, sometimes some people just take it well over the reams of just a fight and act irrationally, and these, these young boys did that and took someone's life. Unfortunately, they did. Unfortunately, Mr. Bravo lost his life as a result of people being angry over a fight it's a, it's a really sad story but i think it was quite important that we highlighted this this incident that occurred because of how this sport can become so heated and fans are so passionate about it that, that it can lead to such events like that happening so i suppose before we get into the aftermath of the fight and what happened for each fighter next let's just take a moment just to really go into some more detailed thoughts about what we actually saw in that fight and We've mentioned that we both think Oscar De La Hoya nicked it. I just struggled to see how Trinidad won three of them four rounds on Jerry Ruff's card. And I also struggled to see how he won more than four rounds in the fight. You could give him five rounds at best, in my personal opinion. And that would be one of the first four rounds. And that would be the final three rounds. That, that for me, was, was what Trinidad won. And it should have been a 115-113 card across the board for Oscar De La Hoya. But because of his actions in the final rounds of the fight, whatever the judges were looking at, they decided to maybe change their opinions. I don't know what they were thinking at the time, but for me, Oscar De La Hoya should have had that victory, but it was a huge victory for Trinidad and for Puerto Rico. It was a huge victory for Puerto Rico. They didn't care. It was almost like he had knocked out Oscar De La in the first 30 seconds of the first round or something, the way they celebrated it. So then it was irrelevant. It was just that, he got the win and he was loved. They loved him. And it happens later on as well. He has another crazy sort of parade and carnival after another one of his fights. But look, I'm with you. I do. I watched the fight before, just, just before we even started this. And I thought Oscar won it before. I'd already seen it. Watched it. I thought Oscar won it. Oscar won it by a couple of rounds. And it's sort of putting this research together and finishing this off. I watched it again, especially those first four rounds. I would honestly, if anybody, if anybody out there that's listening, can come back to us and tell us that you believe that Trinidad took three of those four rounds. I would love you to explain how. There was absolutely no way he did. Possibly one, and that's it. I mean, it's crazy. But yeah, as you say, then in the last three rounds, I mean, he probably, I had it, but yeah, seven, five. I think no matter how many times I watch it, even if, if I really try my best to, to side with Trinidad, you know, I suppose you give him, you could give him an extra, as you say, like an extra round. I mean, even then it makes it a draw. I, I, even then, I'm, I'm a bit bemused by a draw. I think he wins it by a couple of rounds. So let's move into what happened next for Felix Trinidad. After the De La Hoya fight, King met with Trinidad and his father to discuss their plans. And this is Don King's account. And he said, his dad said, I don't know about him going up because he's really good right here and doing phenomenal. 
about him being in the welterweight division. And Tito said, Dad, I'll fight anybody. He said, I don't care who it is. He was from the old school. I thought he would be great at junior middleweight also. I wanted to help him do what he wanted to do and where he wanted to go up in weight. Yes, there's Don King obviously trying to um, just being in, being close enough. You know, it was loads of alleys he could go down and, and Tito did move up in the end. They didn't get the rematch. He won a WBA Super Worldweight title against David Reed. He made two defences of that title and acquired the IBF version to unify against Fernando Vargas. And it was that Fernando Vargas fight, if you ever look at that, he goes back home and there's another carnival atmosphere after winning that fight. And in 2001, Trinidad stopped William Joppy at Madison Square Garden to win the WBA middleweight title and become a freeweight world champion. With a career of 40-0, he challenged Bernard Hopkins for all the middleweight marbles and lost by stoppage in the 12th and final round. And then in his last four fights as a professional, he won two and lost two. His two losses come to Ronald Winky Wright and Roy Jones Jr. De La Hoya, he went on to win 11 world titles in six different weight classes, defeating notable names such as Arturo Gatti, Fernando Vargas, Yuri Boy Campos, Felix Sturm and Ricardo Mayorga. He lost to other notable names though, of course, throughout his career. Sugar Shea Mosley twice, Bernard Hopkins, Floyd Mayweather, another fight which probably will be a legendary night in the future because that was another fight of Oscars where it was a tale of of, of two halves in, in some ways. And then, of course, in his final fight of his career, a step too far, he tried to boil down to the welterweight limit to fight Manny Pacquiao and was ultimately dismantled by the Filipino sensation. But unfortunately, the, the talking point of the episode was De La Hoya and Trinidad and this fight should have had a rematch and it would never happen. This rematch never happened. It was a, really, given the controversy of that first fight, naturally you would have thought in 2000 this fight would have been the fight for the new millennium and that could have been billed as the, the fight for the new millennium. You know, you've got a title right there. You've got a fight with a bit of controversy surrounding it. Why did that fight never happen? Because I would have loved to have seen it again and, and I suppose it makes me think who would have won it the second time round. Yes, this I'm with you. That that is the one. There's there's a few fights like that. You've got Sugar Ray Leonard and and Hagler. That's a that is a hundred percent a rematch that should have happened that didn't happen. And Trinidad and De La Hoya is up there with that fight. It's it, it's it's beyond me why it didn't. I mean, Felix obviously he he struggled at the weight. I get that. But Oscar De La Hoya, what by 2001 he's fighting as a light middleweight. So they could have fought a higher weight. The, the rematch should have happened at a higher weight. And Felix Trinidad did actually tell Boxing News when he made his comeback. And he said, I think in 2008, and he did say that apparently his team offered Oscar De La Hoya the fight on eight separate occasions. And Oscar De La Hoya turned each one down every time. Not quite sure how true that is, but I've never heard anything from Oscar in terms of what, what he believes and why that rematch never happened. But... For me, I mean, Felix, I think he would have taken it. Felix fought everyone, but so did Oscar. It's a crazy one. Maybe there was more money elsewhere. I still think they would have earned a ton of money two years later in a higher weight division. It's beyond me. Well, it was a great legendary night's episode. The tale of De La Hoya Trinidad. The fight of the millennium, essentially, was what it was billed out to be. The fight to end the, the millennium. And it turned out to be a little bit of a lacklustre affair with its controversy that surrounded it, of course. And it was just that one of them fights that we had two guys at the absolute peak of the powers. And 
very much like some fights we've seen before where you expect so much from a fight and it doesn't deliver on the same level. This was that particular fight, but it's the controversy that surrounds it. As as a listener, do you think that De La Hoya did enough to win the fight? Or do you feel Trinidad nicked a few of those rounds in there? And we'd love to hear from every one of you. If you were listening to this on YouTube, drop a comment in below and let us know what your thoughts are on the fight and the memories of the fight. If you're listening on the audio version via Apple or Google or whichever way you are listening to it, please drop us a message on social media at BTR Boxing Pod and you can find us at Legend Night Pod on Twitter as well as the BTR Boxing Podcast Facebook page and the Instagram account. We're on all of social media. So, you know, once you've listened to it, however you've caught it and whichever social media platform you're on, just let us know what you think. Just tell us. Did Trinidad win it? Did De La Hoya win it? How did you see it? If you want a more detailed description, well, you're probably going to have to do it on YouTube because you can get more than 140 characters on there. But please do do it because, <laughs> you know, it's it's, it's, a, it's one of them fights where I've always seen De La Hoya win this fight. I've never seen it any other way. But I know there's so many other people that will be looking at it from a completely different angle and will argue that De La Hoya didn't win that fight. And I'd love to know people's explanations behind why they think Trinidad won that fight. So please throw them at us now you've listened to it. And I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've enjoyed episode two, season three of the Legendary Night series on the BTR Boxing Podcast Network. Please do leave us a rating and review as well make sure you do that and if you haven't checked out our patreon service check us out patreon.com forward slash btr boxing podcast network on there you can get early access to episodes as much as three or four days before release date you can also get ad free episodes all your episodes will be ad free on there you get patreon only content so that's an episode or two every single month released that's not released to the general public and a big shout out has to go to them patrons for supporting the BTR Boxing Podcast Network. We appreciate you guys so much. Thank you for your support. For everybody listening, we hope you've enjoyed this tale, the tale of De La Hoya and Trinidad. Network.